from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. You throw a gif on there? Oh, if I throw a gif? Like, that means something. I love bears doing human things. Right. I don't like bears being bears. Right. We're not going to do handwritten notes. God, no. Jesus. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Five o'clock hours here. I feel like the gift mentioned Adam Hill was in our discussion about texting thank yous, which may have stemmed from a previous discussion about thank you notes. Uh, you haven't been on Cofield and Company all week. The Basaccia thank you notes. Your thought? I mean, it's a very rich Basaccia thing to do. <laughs> okay. He has always struck me as the kind of guy that would write them. I mean, it's kind of awesome, but we've been round and round on this one. Well, really not anything beyond round because both of us agreed, right? Yeah. Absolutely no one. On, well, Willie, I, Willie's a new addition to the show. I was going to say that. Willie, Willie might see, do it. Willie would do that. You know. Yeah. Ari, no way. And it wouldn't come off as genuine anyway. Uh, you and I, no way. And I'll, I'll speak for Candy. He ain't doing thank you notes. No, no way. W- Willie, you're, you've. You have written a hand. You have handwritten a thank you note at some point in your life, haven't you? Yeah, we covered this the other day. I oh, used okay. to have a uh, yeah. personalized stationery, little <laughs> oh little God. little personalized yep. note cards that I would to just to yep. you know for whatever reason I'd send. It's very I, uh, Adam, I don't think you, uh, Adam. I have no idea if you were listening the day that Willie and I started talking about Christmas cards, and Willie like unloaded on me because I think I suggested that maybe he he wasn't a Christmas card guy and he's he was like you're a Christmas card guy right Willie? I don't send Christmas cards. I mean, if you did, oh, you don't. Okay, that but if he me. did, that's we, a we, shocker. I f- I figured that was right up your alley. We we had that on the rundown, but I I don't remember discussing it. But I didn't go. I don't remember going. Are you sure that was me? Because I don't. I now I used to give uh, send Christmas cards, and I posted that on. Social media, maybe that's where you saw that. And I said, does anyone still do this? Because I remember my grandfather used to get a kick out of it. He'd go to the post office and get a roll of 100 stamps, and he would literally get a kick out of right. I mean, he'd have legal pad paper with the with the Christmas card list. But now, I don't send Christmas cards. I get Christmas cards. You do, you do, though, strike me as somebody that would not only send Christmas cards, but also do, like, a picture, a different picture every year no. for the card. And... Do like one of those. Have you seen the people that do like a a story or like a poem about how their year was? No, I would. Number one, if I were still sending Christmas cards, I would just get a box of Christmas cards and I would not do a picture. Although I will say this: Oh yes, you would. You would. You would do a picture with your dog. No, I wouldn't. I will tell you. Oh, this. you would have Kahlua. Stop it. Now. Time out for Christmas now, cards. Now you're just in complete denial. No, I'm not. I will tell you this. Social since so since the turn of social media in the last decade, I will have my graphic artist, and we just talked about this two minutes ago in direct messages on 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 something. Uh, but uh, yes, Wait, I, I've had him. I've had him design. About? I've had him design for social media purposes, but. You know why I would not do that? Because I'm not spending the money <laughs> on glossy pictures with the pics t- t- and copies and so on and so forth. I'm going to go get a box of cards. And you know what I'm going to get them? December 26th. <laughs> and I'm going to put them away for the following year. But I am a, I would send them. I just don't do that anymore. I used to have an address book with handwritten addresses. 
growing up, and I would send I'd send my own Christmas cards. But now, no. I'm betting. I'm betting ten dollars. And $10. I definitely aren't having no poem with a story. I'm betting ten dollars right now that next year we all get Christmas cards with you and Kalua wearing the same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> a perfect, five time. perfect outfit. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. All right, guys, some NHL news coming in the last couple days and some feedback from a former Vegas Golden Knight, Revo. What's going on, Adam, with the NHL and asymptomatic, symptomatic, and the testing? Are we going to get back to a normal schedule by simply just cutting out a lot of the test? It seems that way. I mean, we're, you know, we're learning new things all the time. We're progressing um, in different in different areas of, of uh, all these protocols. Uh, seems like by the day at this point. And the NHL is moving to that, you know, notion of not testing uh, symptomatic or asymptomatic players. Um, listen, it'll it'll provide less, you know, I, I think it'll provide less positive tests, less distractions, less disruptions of the season. And, you know, hopefully it's contained enough in that world, Willie, that uh, it it's not going to cause much chaos. Yeah, I mean, if that that's the route that they want to go, that's I think that's a route where the majority of the players and Steve speaking toward what uh, Ryan Reeves had said that that they feel that the you know, and I think what a lot I think a lot of the players, a lot of professional athletes have sort of turned to is that asymptomatic players should not be tested. He he came out and said that it would make things a lot easier, um, basically. Because it, it, it's more or less forcing them to get back to normalcy in, in treating it where you're going to come down with this. It's going to become an annual thing. People are going to be vaccinated more and more. And you're catching something. And, and you know, I've used this comparison before. I don't know if it's fair to. And I apologize to anyone that's listening that's either been hit hard by this or lost someone to this. But at some point, this is going to be an annual thing. And, oh, I got COVID. And, uh, you know, I mean, when Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan flu game, right? I mean, at some point, there's going to be some time where someone was hit by COVID and was still feeling the effects of it. And they played some outstanding game, whether it's hockey and they scored a hat trick, football, quarterback threw for 400 yards coming off of COVID, you know, whatever it may be. Um so, yeah, but the NHL, they did update their COVID protocol in detail. Five-day isolation period. The isolation period um, issued December 29th appears to be functioning well in its current form is what they said. Um, significant portion of players appear to be exiting isolation after five days with a lab-tested PCR test that has a CT value of minus 30. So, basically, they're looking for those PCR tests that are taking three to five days to get that result and the less significant um, COVID positive. The testing protocol, there will be no testing of fully vaccinated players and staff during the All-Star break, including uh, participating players and staff, unless needed for travel or development symptoms. Uh, development of symptoms. There'll be a single test upon re-entry to club facilities post-All-Star, after which there will no longer be asymptomatic testing or testing of fully vaccinated close contacts. 
Thereafter, testing will continue only on a limited for cause basis in fully vaccinated players and staff who develop symptoms or require testing or for cross-border travel. Finally, the post-COVID testing holiday will remain at 90 days, but symptom-based testing can still be done at the team uh, the team physician's discretion. Testing for cross-border travel post-COVID will be dictated by the relevant health authority, which is currently 90 days for entry to the U.S. and 180 days for entry to Canada. Adam, do you find it a little ironic of all the restrictions that Canada has gone back to, but the entire league is sending all their players to Las Vegas for the All-Star game, and they're going (laughs) to go ahead and move forward with this, and no big deal? We'll see see what they're able to do when they're here. Uh, I think there'll still be a lot of restrictions. I know... You know, talk to some people around the league and, and the NFL travel parties, you know, they they have cut back on testing, but they're just not allowed to leave, you know, kind of the bubble on the road. So, um, yeah, I, I think we are we are progressing and it's good that we're progressing and learning new things and figuring them out. And this is just another step. Number four. Number four. Willie, uh, I know you wanted to talk about the home road split with the Vegas Golden Knights. Only 12-10-2 at home. But do either one of you guys dare to ask ask Pete DeBoer about the struggles at home? Well, I just, it's, you know, they're 11-5-0 on the road. And I know that they've gone through some things, but I just, I, I, I had pulled up some stats here. 2017-18, yes, there was the Vegas flu that season. They didn't lose their 10th home game until March 14th. 2018-19, they didn't lose their 10th home game until February 9th. The 2019-20 season, uh, now that one they lost December 23rd. And then last year, of course, the season didn't start until January. So it's a compare, but they only lost seven home games during a shortened season. So they're 12-10-2 and two at home. Um Adam has the home ice advantage sort of subsided. The the, the, the the Penguins the other day made note that, you know, yeah, we know that they ramp things up when they come in here, but I, 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 I'd venture to say the visiting teams are feeding off of it, and those opposite, those uh, opponents' crowds are growing as well. Yeah, I don't – I think the reason that Pete DeBoer is frustrated about this question is mostly because he had just finished saying – we haven't had our full team yet. We haven't been healthy. We haven't had all of our players, and we're just finding a way to kind of get by right now, waiting for you know our team to be more intact later in the year. And then the follow-up is, well, why aren't you dominating at home? Well, did you just listen to the previous question? That first season, uh, <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury had a concussion. Malcolm Sabin sure. did pretty good. Sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. But I, I, think, I just think the team is not – they're not at full strength. They're trying to get back up there, and um, I, I would be – I would be worried and shocked if they have their full roster late in the season and they are getting beat at home at this rate. Number three. So, Adam, you mentioned earlier that uh, your biggest UNLV quarterback story the last day and a half or so is not the Tennessee transfer, Harrison Bailey. It was about Tate Martell retiring from football. So I'll start with you, Adam. What do you think about the reaction to Tate Martell and the mocking and the chiding? I mean, it's tough because I think sometimes you forget that people are kids and not not saying Tate Martell now at, you know, whatever age he is now. Uh, I was going to make a joke and say 42. I'm not. That's not fair. Um, I'm not saying he's a kid now, but I think a lot of people are holding 
his actions and his attitude and his behavior when he was a kid against him. And and I don't think that's completely fair, right? I think it's, um, you know, it, he he. And, I, and listen, I'm not even saying he's a completely different person now. But like everybody formed their opinions five six years ago, and now they want to laugh and and mock and you know chide a, a guy who you know went through a couple different colleges, tried to find his place, never really found it, and um, has other opportunities off the field that he is pursuing. It's not it's not completely listen. He did it to himself. I'll be clear about that. He did this. To well, I, I also feel I feel like he did it to himself, but he also was surrounded by adults who didn't get it and were bad influences. And it's also it's the system. There are some kids who can get swallowed up and start shacking a fool because of the system and all the hype. And when you're hyped when you're 13 and 14 years old, maybe it does take falling on your face, you know, multiple times for you finally to get. It. I just know from being around the dude that he did try this year. He was never freaking healthy between his wrist and then he had plantar fasciitis. Um, what I saw in practice was a guy who may have been, um, you know, a top whatever, 25 quarterback in his class. He was actually top 10. But by the time he got here, he was dealing with injuries and he just didn't have the arm anymore. So, you know, I see so many people ripping on the guy and it's like, everyone, take it easy. Like celebrating someone's fall and believe me, we're not the the friendliest show. We can be mean too, but every once in a while, we can pump the brakes and calm calm down. And yeah, you know, I know the way the interwebs work. There is no accountability. They would never say it to his face. So people, you know, have free reign to just be complete jerks. You know what? Um, there are there are young gentlemen on that will not play football, right, from from UNLV, right? I mean, Marcus Arroyo, the, the guys, not in the transfer board, but the people have graduated, right? They're not going to play again. Right. Why aren't we using the word retire with them? <laughs> we all are guilty yeah, in some yeah, way, yeah. shape, or yeah. form of putting this kid, putting the pressure. You mentioned before being surrounded by certain adults. I will put it out there right on point blank because I've met the man. I covered him in high school, but his father... Okay, who who was who was a loving, doting father who believed in his son, but because of the expectations that others put, as Adam said, when this when he was just a kid, when he was fourteen years old in eighth grade, it's like putting Bryce Harper or LeBron James on the cover of Sports Illustrated and making them feel like the next coming. That pressure not only was on him, but it was on his on his entire family and his father to push him. To be a supportive father. So he felt that he needed to live up to so many people's expectations. But yet here we are. We're not talking about the outgoing players at UNLV or CSN or anybody else and saying they've retired. Yet we're putting this tag on Tate Martell as if this is some big football career. He's retired. We're making a story out of a kid whose college career has come to an end. End of story. Man. I think I was a rip job on the uh, new UNLV dude at the RJ. All right, we'll build off of that. I'm kidding. Uh, top two stories coming up on the other side. We'll get into uh, what to do with Derek Carr. We're going to be talking about this a lot. And what does Derek Carr want to do? And also, if any of the GM names that have been mentioned so far really float your boat. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000.
Mark and I have, have had some conversations. Uh, there's due process. He has to interview some other candidates, as I, I, I well know. I'm very respectful of the process, what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to work. I think we'll be in constant conversation, and we'll certainly talk again before the week is over. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Adam Hill, uh, that was Rich Basaccia. Did Basaccia interview today with the Raiders Brass? He did, although I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what that would entail in terms of an interview. I mean, they know him; uh, they're familiar with him, obviously. Um, in an interim situation, or you know, in-house type situations, uh, I don't know, you know, what interview means other than hey, let's let's talk about what you did, why you think you deserve it. I think those sorts of things. Uh, but they, you know, they have the book on who he is, what he does. I'm sure they know what the players feel. Everybody likes him, and they'll, you know, see the same thing interviewing the, interviewing him that they've seen in the past. It, it sounds like uh, Rich Versace has met with Mark Davis pretty much every week, kind of a weekly, you know, basis. I guess that would be a series of kind of interviews, really. I mean, that's really what it is, is getting to know somebody. So um, I think he'll they'll ask him why he thinks he deserves it, and I'm sure he'll tell them you know, what he was able to hold together and that he's been working at this for 40 years, and we'll see. And I don't know if it's a cursory interview or if there's a real chance, but it sounds like at least there's some possibility he could be in the mix, even if he's not one of the front runners. Right. The Raiders' brain trust is who? Mark Davis and? Uh, Marcel Reese. Okay. Mostly. A couple other. There's a couple other, you know, higher-ranking executives around there that – are going to have a say. And well, I, I know think, I know Vinny in his story mentioned Ventrell and sure. Delaney. Sure. Um, and, there, you know, there's just other guys in the building, and I think there's guys, you know, around the league and you know, around the city both that uh, that Mark Davis trusts and talks to, and um, I'm sure he'll be running it by a lot of people. But I also know that he uh, wants to stay fairly quiet about this. So, you know, we'll see how, how that continues to, to kind of play out. But – uh, there's, you know, as opposed to other organizations, there's not as much coming out. And if you notice, uh, I believe every other organization has been tweeting out, you know, beginnings and endings of job interviews and say, hey, his interview is beginning now. Right. His interview has just ended. Right. Not happening with the Raiders. For as tight-lipped as, as Mark Davis has been, it, especially after that, you know, that mid-season or late, you know, three-quarter season supposed source story came out. Remember, it was like, well, you know, Cody, he said, I'm not even focused on that because we're going to make a run at the playoffs. Regardless, as tight-lipped as he's been, when we hear these stories, sources say this, sources say that, we just talked about leverage with Harbaugh. How much do you think that it's the agents putting it out there? Percentage-wise? Because we know we know that's very we that's that's a lot of the case with the with the hockey that we follow. Sure. Sure. I think a lot. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with it. But I, I you know it's also tough sometimes to get you know, to get stories out there, there's only one side, and obviously Mark Davis isn't talking much about it. I don't like. I don't. This is this is going. I'm going to say something that's going to sound like an insult, but it's actually not. It's not supposed to be. Like I don't think Mark Davis is the most media savvy person, um, and and I think that's a good thing in a lot of ways. Right. It's much more endearing when you talk to him, and he's not, you know, rehearsed and practicing and trying to you know leak things through you. He's just having genu- genuine conversations. So, um, I, but I do think he wants to keep it fairly quiet. Yeah, you know why? Because he's, for the most part, in the times I've talked to him, just in general conversation, and it's usually in public somewhere or at a restaurant, he's just a normal guy. He just talks like one of the guys. So he's 
he's more comfortable in that than he is with the microphone in his face or a recording device. Which is very interesting. Sure. Let's build let's build on that, guys. We mentioned something earlier. Is Mark Davis going to gravitate towards guys who come off as regular guys? And I wonder if the, if Jim Harbaugh comes off as a regular guy because we were we were talking about GM candidates earlier and we brought up uh, the Colts uh, GM candidate who's working with Chris Ballard. We'll get to that next. I, I wonder if that's what kind of shapes what Davis likes and who he wants in control. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. Here's another look. Boyle down the middle. Glove stop. Rebound. Score. Pittsburgh. Two quick ones. It's a one-goal game with 12-15 to go in the second. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 And Duval on the call there. Knights back against the Canadians. Tomorrow at the Fortress, 77 cent beers during the game at Silver Sevens. We'll be doing the live shows we do every Thursday at Silver Sevens at Flamingo and Paradise, Cofield, Willie, Adam Hill. We were just talking about some of the names being bounced around for the Raiders openings. Adam, you said there's an obvious tie between the Colts candidate and that's Ed Dodds and Harbaugh in general with these GM candidates. Any of the names get you excited? And before I let you answer it, I'm also going to say, please don't start breaking down each organization they work for and say that, well, these are the warts, so I don't want that guy. Because I'm seeing a lot of that on social media, which is incredibly infantile and uneducated. Like, I saw some people ripping on the candidate from the Bears, and they're like, well, what do do the Bears have? Like, all right, first of all, you don't know rosters (laughs) of other organizations. I'm not saying you. And the other one is you have no idea what goes into the inner workings of actually working as, you know, as a personnel person or assistant GM, just judging another organization and going, our roster is better than theirs. Why would we want him? Well, I mean, it goes, I think you do, you can look at the organizations, but it's more how the organizations do things. I mean, the candidates are going to be different than what their bosses were, what the organization was, right? But if you have guys that come from really good good organizations, if you tell me a guy has worked – you know, in the last 15 years for the, say, like the Patriots and or the Browns and Colts, the Brown, and you're like, well, what, when were those dates? Because if the Browns were the last three or four years, they're one of the smartest teams in all of sports. Um, and you could say, what are you talking about? They didn't do much. Yeah, their quarterback was injured all year, but look at the roster they constructed. They did a really good job of that. So look, those are the kind of things you have to look beyond. If you tell me the win and loss record of some organization, who cares? But if you look at a team that does things analytically, and does things like really intelligently. Um, I'm kind of with that. The Colts, I just mentioned them being good. They actually, there is some warts in their construction that is that doesn't really have to do with the win loss record. And we saw what happened at the end of the year. But like the Colts are really, really good at really, really unimportant places, and that like that's kind of troubling to me a little bit. Uh, so, so those are the kind of things that that I look for. More than you know, hey, what's their win loss record at this team that he was with? Who who cares? They're they're not the people that are actually in charge. They're just kind of learning from those guys. And I think that goes back to what we talked about Monday, Steve, in terms of where you have to get somebody who's good organizational, structural for the GM position, and you have to get somebody that's good X's and O's and wants to coach, and they have to have separate power levels 
each one doing its job but working cohesively together. And I think that that speaks to Adam's point in that, you know, and something before the break, and you said in getting a regular guy, getting someone that's not coming in here looking to come to Vegas to be the big shot, but come in here to run a company, run an organization, structurally, organizationally, compartmentally, and then hiring a coach, getting a big-name coach that comes in here and fits the scheme, fits the city, and is ready to run the X's and O's and and run the football team that's put together by the GM. So, Adam, you think uh, Dodds, based on what Willie just said, I don't know if you agree with Willie, but that Dodds could be that candidate, especially since we heard a Colts insider, Stephen Holder, earlier on the show, that he, he, I mean, he said it repeatedly that Dodd is not a, not a fancy guy at all, <laughs> uh, really loves scouting. Like, is that going to work? I mean, they just had a guy who actually, I think, liked scouting, but was also very media savvy and smooth and could be out front. Do you think they're looking for a GM who's going to, you know, be in front of the media, you know, a half dozen, you know, 10 times a year? Or are they fine with just someone who's low profile and, hey, it's all about scouting? Well, I mean, I think uh, as Willie's kind of getting at too. I think it's it's the combination, right? I mean, you if you have a certain coach who's not going to do that, then you would probably need to have a GM that is going to do it. But if you had, I mean, if you have Jim Harbaugh as a coach who the media is going to want to talk talk to every day and hear from him, and he's got a hand in all those decisions, like you, you're probably not going to care if your GM ever does a press conference. Uh, so I, I I just think it matters how you kind of build. The entire thing, and that's why I think these are interconnected, which makes it kind of difficult if they don't have either the GM or the coach in mind that's already going to take the job and be hired. It is difficult. It's it, it's a chicken and egg thing to me with the the coach and the GM. Where you know which one do you bring in? Do you bring in? Do you know who your coach is, and you bring in a GM who can, who can work with him or who he wants to work with, or do you hire a GM and say, hey, you're tasked with hiring a head coach? And it seems like I mean, right now they're doing more GM interviews, so it seems like maybe they're going GM first, and maybe they'll have a say in the coach, but. Um, it's it, it's a difficult process, uh, but I do think that there there is you know there is a relation between how much the coach is going to be out front and talk and how much you need the GM to. Quick timeout on the way back. I want to play something for you guys that I heard on Cowherd today about analytics, and uh, he and Joy Taylor were going a little anti analytics, and they're basing it mostly on the fact that Kyle Shanahan in the last game wasn't super aggressive on fourth down. Mm, I wonder why. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Put your hand in there, Dave. All right, let's go into the grab bag to see what was uh, cooking earlier today on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Las Vegas, Fox Sports National, uh, big fans of Doug Gottlieb and Colin Cowherd. We are on this show, and I thought especially Adam would like this, and I want to hear Willie's opinion on this as well. Uh, Joy Taylor and Colin got into a discussion about analytics and how there's a lot more than just the numbers to the game. There's a feel. They'll describe it for you here as we uh, fire some of these cuts. If you are asking these linemen to bang, 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 and you keep having nine-play drives – and they get no reward for it. That that sideline's not the same. That's not the same sideline. You gotta give, and I'm not saying you don't go for it, but 
when I outplay my man in the trenches for three and a half hours and four times we go for it on fourth, three we don't get it, one we get a first down and don't get points. I'm bitter. Adam, what about the psychological damage of not succeeding when you go with a numbers-based approach? I mean, that that was, that was a joke, right? No, it was a long discussion about how there's much more than the numbers and you have to take into account the letdown factor well, are, when you don't succeed. Maybe your players will lose it mentally. All right, I'll, I'll go I'll, I'll go with the same, you know, thing of mental approach, I guess. What does it say to your offensive line, these big guys, these big guys that can't handle it when you don't score points? What does it say when you're like, I don't trust you to give me a yard? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me cut in here because if I'm, I don't remember which game it was, Adam. I think it was the end of the Chargers game, wasn't it? When Andre James was on the podium and was talking about how good it feels and rewarded that they feel when the confidence is in them late in the game. And you know when they're he, – he even said, you know that when – Josh Jacobs is getting the ball more so than normal that you're doing your job. And that's how they know. So I think if you don't turn to them, it's just, it's it's more of a slap in the face. Yeah. All right, keep going. The Niners play as physical a football as anybody in this league, and Kyle knows it. He likes points. Because he asks so much of his offensive and defensive linemen. He asks a lot in practice. He asks a lot in games. He rewards them. Let's just get the field goal. Is it because Kyle's dumb? Like, nobody talks about this stuff in football. It is football practice I hated. I love baseball practice. I love basketball practice. I hated football practice. I mean, I... Nobody talks about football practice. <laughs> okay. Uh, any time you hear anyone on radio and we love Colin but anytime you hear no one's talking about this stop you don't listen to every show around the country you don't listen to every podcast we understand that the work that goes into playing football is incredibly difficult and for a lot of the players it's not very rewarding because some of the most important guys of practices are the guys who don't ever get to play also nobody's talking so, about it because everybody knows it nobody's talking about right. how we and, breathe oxygen every day either we are i thought i thought his premise of kyle shanahan didn't go for it a lot on fourth he's got jimmy garoppolo <laughs> i know he's got the you know the the freaking greatest running game ever but when the trigger man is the 25th or lower quarterback in the nfl you can't be quite as aggressive yeah, but I, I mean, I thought, I mean, I, I was disappointed a little bit in, in Shanny's performance this week, but um, I also thought, you know, he's he's why been, they won, they won, Adam. Yeah, so so what? Uh, he's been conservative and like they were completely destroying him and let the Cowboys get back in the game because I think they got very conservative. Right. Uh, and listen, it's not like there's not a track record of Shanny, Shanny getting conservative uh, in big games, and I think that he kind of did. I was disappointed in that. The 49ers. Right, we have more. Oh, go ahead. Oops. Go ahead, Willie. Well, I was just going to say the f on this season, fourth down conversions, 49ers ranked 22nd in the league. 
well, actually tied for 21st, 50%, 20th. Buffalo, Washington, San Francisco, all 50% on fourth down. Uh, red zone percentage for the San Francisco 49ers. Ranked number one, 66.7%. Percentage of a time to reach the end zone. So, Adam, why, why, uh, all right. uh, why, Adam, if they're 50% on the year, shouldn't that mean that Shanahan dials it back, or is every fourth down a separate deal? They are. They are all separate. All you know, fourth downs are created differently, and and you know, it's where you are in the field, and um, all of those things. I think that there's, you know, a, a lot of people that think anal- like analytics just means going for it on fourth down. That's absolutely just not true. Uh, it's it's well, where you are in the field. Down to a lot of it. It's but that's I mean that's yeah. such a simplification. It's it's using mathematics to inform you of how to make better decisions. Um, that's that's right. how it should. I be think you're gonna, I think you're going to love. I, I, I think you're going to love the rest of the conversation. So uh, give me cut three. There's a psychology to all this stuff that I don't think we bake in. Well, analytics only tell a part of the story, and they don't account for everything that's happening during a game. They don't account for fatigue. They don't account for momentum. They don't account for how many penalties you guys have had throughout the game. They don't account for crowd noise. They don't account for an injury to the other team. They only tell one part of the picture. Like You can look at certain analytics and know this applies. The Cowboys don't win if they can't run the ball more than 100 yards. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is where I think both Colin and Joy need to talk to football coaches and what they're doing now with analytics. Uh, fatigue, momentum, penalties, and injuries can all be inputted into analytics. And not everyone is on board yet with the technology, but absolutely on the fatigue part, there are now sensors on the players, and they have real-time information about how active guys are as the game moves along or different parts of the game. So all of that stuff actually can be accounted for. Right. Of course it can. Yeah. And, I'm, and, and, and Adam, you know I'm not like over-the-top Gaga analytics guy – but I've seen it, and I'm seeing the advances, and I'm seeing the different factors added in. Again, folks, the way these analytics, with these numbers come up or are put together is human input. So you can pretty much put in there whatever you'd like to track. No, but if you and, – and to, to feed off that or to your guys' point, if a team performs better in the fourth quarter or performs worse in the fourth quarter – you can attribute, let's just say if it's worse, and say they got tired because of lack of depth in a certain position, well, how are you figuring that out? By analytics. Yeah. So a lot of it will tie in. Well, and, and I mean, to, to her point, I mean, you could say, yeah, just because you know that a player has run around a lot more than another player doesn't mean that he's more fatigued because maybe he's in better shape. Like, all those things are fair. Uh, but to say you just can't account for it is just, it, it's kind of wrong. Like you, you can account for a lot of those things. And listen, uh, you're you're making this claim, and I guess ignoring the fact that your gut also really can't tell you those things. If you're just making a gut split second decision, it's I would much rather be informed by the win probabilities based on that decision than I am just this is what it looks like out there to me, guys. What is that? It is this just this automatic go for it stuff. Well, Kyle Shanahan knows more football and his dad than all of us. And Kyle was, Kyle didn't even go for it on it at the fifty yard line, 
and I'm I'm not always go for it guy, and I was like, uh, uh, Bosa's out, Warner's out. I don't trust my defense. Go for it. He still punted it. Well, if, if you could only rely on analytics, anyone could do the job. You just do what the analytics say to do. What do the analytics say to do here? Okay, go do that. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, in terms of decisions, that's true and correct, by the way. Yes, you're right. It could and should do the job. Um, but there's a lot more to being a head coach and just making decisions on <laughs> fourth down situations and, you know, late in the games. Right. Like th- that's that's silly, but yes, you you absolutely should defer to what the computer says in terms of decisions on a you know when you when they do come up during a game. Yeah, like I mean, you're sa- you're saying it like it's a silly thing. No, it's it's true. So you should do. It's like it's like saying it, it again. Well, I I've really adapted the blackjack uh, analogy for a lot of the analytic decisions in, in football, but it's it's like that. It's. Well, if you're just going to do whatever the card tells you to do, why don't you just let the card play for you? Well, you should. It knows more than you do. <laughs> I want to use my gut on this 16. And that's fine. And by the way, sometimes, as I say, that works out. Sometimes you stay on a 16 right. against a 10, well, and it works out for you. But the the proper way to play in, in order to maximize your potential is over the long haul, making the right decisions right. every single time. And that's the flaw in using a Kyle Shanahan victory where he didn't go for it a lot on fourth down and going that small sample. Yeah. See, it's also a re- results-based analysis. So it's a battle. It's a battle. It's going to go on for a while, Adam Hill. <laughs> I mean, it's it's silly. It, it's, you know, and I, I guess, you know, Will, you talk to coaches at the high school level all the time. How much are they even trying to put this in? I don't know how much that they're using analytics. Um, I, I I would have to think. I don't, I, I doubt that they're doing it in. I, I I can't imagine how much they're actually using that as much as they're just trying to because they're still trying to teach a lot of those kids fundamentals. Sure. I mean, you you got some skilled individuals, you know, especially at Gorman, at Arborview, at Liberty. But I can't imagine that they're, you know, I maybe maybe for their own sake, um, and maybe with their coaching staff, but um, to apply that, I, I I might see it more in basketball. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know sure. in high school and you, basketball. You measure and you you try to eliminate mid range jumpers, and that's a very analytic based approach. Depending that, on your sure. roster and who and you got. The yeah. other issue in high school is you don't have the same amount of data points. Like the reason yeah. that we understand what is the proper decision to make in every situation is because there's years and years and years and thousands and thousands of plays of data to base it on. Uh, you don't really have that database uh, if you're working at the high school level. It's kind of, kind of different. I have an analytic I'd like to ask you, Adam. Yeah? What is the probability with 8.54 left in the second period that Ryan Reeves is going to get a hat trick? <laughs> That's pretty low. <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> Three to two Toronto in Madison Square Garden. And the Rangers' two goals were scored by former Golden Knight Ryan Reeves. You know what? Uh, I don't cover the Rangers, but growing up being a Manhattan-born kid, uh, and I was a Rangers fan, and now that he's no longer here, I'm just going to say it. I'm cheering for the guy to get a hat trick tonight. Wow. Controversial. (laughs) Well, I mean, who wouldn't be aside from, you know, like enemy fans and anyone he's beat up? I mean... 
Well, It'd be a cool story for Rangers a fighting Rangers. bruiser to get a, a hat trick. That's yeah. cool. First yeah. two goals of the season for Ryan Reeves. Adam and I agreed off the air that I think he he was one of the funnest uh, off-the-record conversations in the locker room when pre-pandemic just to shoot the you-know-what with. Oh, yeah? Who oh. was the least fun? Go ahead. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We're running out of time. Sorry, Ari's counting us down. Is that right? We're yeah. up against it? We're yep. up against it. Sorry, Steve. Thanks for joining us today. All right, we'll see you guys. Oh, no, no, we're not out of here yet. Uh, Tomorrow, Silver Sevens. Adam Hill is going to be on the scene with giveaway 77-cent beers during the Golden Knights game. Thanks, guys. Great job today.